Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. So, um, welcome again to to our service. And uh, I'm going to be sharing with you this evening from uh, Mark chapter 5. And uh, it's an interesting chapter. In fact, if you, if you look at the end of Mark chapter 4, you have the account of Jesus silencing the storm. And then in the beginning of Mark chapter 5, you have the account of Jesus going over, you know, across the sea uh, to the Gentile regions, uh, to the Gadarenes, and there uh, um, a man who is demon-possessed who lived amongst the tombs, tombs coming to, uh, running towards him, falling down before him, and, and Jesus delivering the man. Uh, then you have... As soon as he comes back, he crosses over to the other side, to the Jewish side of the, the um, Lake of Galilee. You again <clears throat> have lots of people, a big crowd, a huge crowd, coming and, and gathering around him. And then you have a, a guy who is a leader, a, a ruler of a synagogue, coming and saying, Lord, please help me. My, my, my little girl is at death's door. Please help me. Come and lay hands on her and, 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 and restore her. And then as he's going to to Jairus, this uh, ruler of the synagogue's house, a woman comes up behind him and touches his garment, and she's healed from a, from a flow of blood that she had for 12 years. <clears throat> and in the meantime, the, the little girl um, dies, and then Jesus goes to the house and he raises her from the dead. And what Mark is trying to show us through these accounts is that Jesus has authority over everything. Okay? He can silence the storm. He has authority over disasters. He can drive out demons. And they were many. It says, uh, our name is Legion, for we are many. I mean, <laughs> this guy had so many demons, he got group discount wherever he went. You know, he, he's, uh, and, and, and yet, all of those demons are no match for Jesus. He just speaks a word and he casts them out. Okay, he, has, he has authority over disaster. He has authority over demons. He has authority over disease. The woman just touches him. And a disease that, it, that she'd had for 12 years that no doctor could, you know, cure her of is instantaneously healed. But not only that, he has authority over death. And he raises this little girl with a word. He raises this girl from, from death. And <clears throat> to me, that is encouraging. I, I want to encourage you. When you go home, just read you know, all of that from the end of chapter 4 and, and all the way through Mark chapter 5. And just, just let the Lord show you how Jesus is above all and above everything. There's nothing that is not under his authority. And it also shows us who needs Jesus as a savior. Because in the beginning of the chapter, he delivers a man of demons in the middle of the chapter, he heals a woman of a disease. And at the end of the chapter, he raises a little girl from the death. Men, women, children, everyone. Jesus ministers to everyone. Everyone needs him. And it just shows us that, that he's a great savior. In fact, he's the only savior in the whole world. The only one who can save from everything. There are people who can save you from certain things. But only Jesus can save you from anything and everything. There is no other. And, and what we see 
especially through this account of this little girl and of the woman that, that is healed, is that the right way to relate to Jesus is through faith. And the rest of the Bible tells us the same thing. Hebrews 11 verse 6, for without faith it's impossible to please him. Whoever comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a reward of those who diligently seek him. And he says the same thing to the woman, you know, after she got healed and she, you know, admitted that she touched him, you know. Um, and it, it's interesting to me. I mean, we're not going to read that part of the story now, but this woman comes up to Jesus in this throng, in this massive crowd that's busily, you know, Jesus is walking along with him. That's, that's sort of jostling Jesus, you know, as he's on his way. And she touches just, just his garment. She doesn't even touch him. She just touches his garment. And he says, like, who touched me? And the disciples are like, yeah, Lord, you're in a crowd. <laughs> Everyone's touching you. You know, everyone's bumping up against you and rubbing up against you and, and so on. Everyone and he says, No, 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 that's not what I mean. Someone touched me in a different way. Someone touched me in faith. When you touch Jesus in faith, he feels it. And it's clear from the story that you feel it. Okay? And he says to this woman, Your faith, daughter, your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. Okay? And then come the guys from Jairus' house and they say, don't trouble the master anymore, the teacher anymore. Your daughter's already dead. What, is, what does he say to Jairus? Fear not. Only believe. Fear not. Only believe. I don't know whether Cornell and them knew what I was going to preach about. but <laughs> Someone gave them an inside track. <laughs> What is faith? <clears throat> if the story is about faith, or in fact these stories, if you can say, are about faith, then what is faith? I want you to quickly discuss that with the person next to you. Tell them what you think faith is. You can turn to each other in groups of two or three and just discuss what do you think faith is. Okay. So what do you say? What, what is faith? Any takers? What is faith? What do you say? Yes. Okay, so faith is trust. That's a very good answer. Anyone else want to add to that? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Trusting his, his, his person and his character, that's, that's faith. Yeah. Anything else? Believing in him? Yeah. And <coughs> faith is trust in, it's, it's relational trust. In other words, I mean, there, there are lots of, wrong ideas about what faith is. Faith, some people see faith as a form of spiritual arm twisting. You know, you can twist God's arm to get him to do what you want him to do. In other words, a form of spiritual manipulation, right? You know, wh the way to get things from God. You know, but when you twist God's arm, you quickly discover he has a rubber arm. And when you let that rubber arm go and it sort of spins back, it like <laughs> gives you a few slaps in the face on the back of the head, you know, to wake you up. To the fact <laughs> that you cannot manipulate God. 
And as some people think faith is like the force, you know, like the Jedi say, may the force be with you. <laughs> you know, some people think, you know, we as Christians should say, may the faith be with you. Um, but faith is not a force. Faith is trust. It's a relational dynamic. It's a relational dynamic of trust between us and God, where we trust, number one, his promises, that they are true and that he is faithful to them, like Philip was saying, that we trust his person, that he has integrity and that he is faithful to keep his promises, that we trust his power, that he is competent to be able to do what he promised to do. And we trust more than that, that he cares enough about us to do us good. It's trust in God. That's what faith is. So let's, let's read this, this account in Mark chapter 5. It says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. And then in between we have the account of the woman with a flow of blood touching him and being healed. And then in verse 35 it says, While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he had put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talita, kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders uh, not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, obviously I won't be able to share everything um, in this long passage tonight, but I want to share a few things um, about faith. <clears throat> First, um, I just want to talk a little bit about the approach of faith. Secondly, I want to talk a bit about um, the challenge to faith and, and then the results of faith. Now, firstly, what we, what we see here is we, we get a good example of someone approaching Jesus in faith, and we learn quite a bit about it. Now, Jairus's faith wasn't Huge. It wasn't amazing. It wasn't like he had this big, massive faith. Because, I mean, at the end of the story, when, the, when his daughter is raised from the dead, what is his response along with the others? They were completely astonished. <laughs> they were so surprised. Now, they obviously had faith, but they clearly didn't have the faith that Jesus was going to do what he was going to do. <laughs> All right? So their faith was, you know, and, and Jesus often says this in, in the Gospels, uh, especially in Matthew's Gospel, oh, you of little faith. Their, their faith was, wasn't that big. But here's the thing that I want you to remember. The object of your faith is more important than the size of your faith. 
the object of your faith is more important than the size of your faith. Our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in our Savior. And little faith in a big Savior is much better than big faith in a little Savior. Little faith in a big Savior. If you have a big Savior, one like Jesus, who has authority over disasters, demons, disease, and death itself, even little faith, even faith like a mustard seed, is enough. The object of your faith is more important than the size of your faith. And we see this with, with Jairus. And it says, you know, there was this large crowd. And it says one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. He came to Jesus. And, and it, it's, it's much like this woman who, who later on comes to Jesus. She has to sort of press through the crowd. That same big, you know, throng of people around Jesus was there. But Jairus, in his faith, and in his desperation to get to Jesus, he pressed through the crowd. He broke through the crowd and he came to Jesus. And faith does that. Faith doesn't let anything stand in its way. Faith doesn't let anything stop it from getting to Jesus. If you have faith, you'll press through the crowd. You'll press through the obstacles. You'll press through the things blocking your way so that you can get to Jesus, the one that you have faith in. So faith is not a passive thing. It's an active thing. It's something that presses in, okay? Secondly, we see, uh, it says he, he came to Jesus, obviously pressing through the crowd, and he said when he saw Jesus, faith focuses on Jesus. Jesus. Often in the Bible, faith is presented as sort of equivalent to kind of spiritual sight. If you think about, for instance, Moses who lifted up the bronze snake onto the pole and when the Israelites who had sinned against God were bitten by the poisonous snakes, they, look, they had to look up at this bronze snake on the pole and they were healed. They had to look in faith. Okay? And it says in John chapter 3 that Jesus is lifted up and whoever looks to him in faith likewise will live. So faith looks Faith looks to Jesus. Faith focuses on Jesus. Faith sees Jesus. Faith sees past the crowds, past the problem, and it sees Jesus. And then he goes on, and it says, and he fell at his feet. Here you have this ruler of the synagogue, and he was, <clears throat> you know, they were, they were not trained, you know, professionals in those days. They were lay people, but they were usually, almost always, people of influence, people of high standing in society, people with pedigree, people with means, often rich people, uh, respected people in society. Otherwise, they didn't get to be a ruler of the synagogue. And now this great guy comes, and he just falls down at Jesus' feet. I always um, think of that one ad that, that uh, I saw on TV um, in the years when I still watch TV. <laughs> but uh, there was this scene in an airport where this guy comes up to the counter and he asks something, but he's, he's quite gruff and, you know, demanding. Uh, and, and when he doesn't get his way, he says to the lady behind the counter, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? <laughs> and she sort of takes a sip of her tea, because I think it was a tea, you know, advert or something. And she, you know, picks up the intercom and he says, ladies and gentlemen, we have someone here who doesn't know who he is. Can someone please come and identify him? 
Well, Jairus didn't do that. He didn't come up to Jesus and say, listen, I demand that you come. Do you, do you know who I am? <laughs> I am Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. You should be honored to come to my house and pray for my daughter. And was, what we learn from this is that faith is humble. True faith is humble. True faith is not demanding and arrogant and proud and pushy. It is humble. It falls before the Lord in humility. True faith is humble. And then it said, he pleaded earnestly with him. He pleaded earnestly with him. You know, so often, we, you know, many, many Christians have this idea of faith that it's all stoic and unemotional and, you know, in control, you know, and strong and full of willpower. And that's not at all the picture of faith we get in the Bible. Not from Jesus, not from the people that Jesus ministers to, not from Paul or any of the other apostles. The picture we get is that faith is deeply emotional. He's earnestly pleading. I mean, you can feel his desperation. His daughter is at death's door. She's about to die. And he's not going to... He allows that to touch his emotions and to drive him. And his emotions in a sense, are part of his faith. What he's feeling is part of his faith. It's not like feelings are against faith always. Sometimes they might be. But it's not like, like faith is feelingless. There's an intensity, an emotional intensity that actually comes with his faith. He earnestly pleads with Jesus and then he states the problem. He says, my little daughter is dying. Literally in the Greek it says, she's at her last. She has her last. You know, she's at her last moment. She's at death's door. She's at her end. In other words, faith is not denial. So often it's taught by so many pastors and teachers that faith is denial faith is denying the problem faith is pretending as though the problem is not there and and that's exactly what the world think thinks that faith is when when we talk as christians about having faith i think oh it's denial or imagination it's imagining that things are not the way they are and the teaching that we often give in church about faith reinforces that misconception because to many christians that is what faith is. It's denying the problem. But the Bible never teaches that. It never teaches that faith is denial. It says, for instance, let me just give you one example. Um, in Romans chapter 4, when he's speaking about Abraham, Paul, Paul says, Abraham, now remember when, when he had Isaac, he was deep in his 90s, going on 100. 100! Anyone who's 100 years old here? <laughs> I mean, we're not even close, okay? He was going on 100. And it said, you know, when you're 100 years old, you know, chances of you naturally having children are rather slim, okay? And he knew it as well in his day as we know it in our day. His, his wife was in her 90s, Okay? And it says he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. 
Faith faces the facts. Faith doesn't deny the facts. Faith faces the facts and states the problem. Like Jairus, it's, it says, this is the problem. My daughter is about to die. It's not that faith is not denial. Faith is facing the facts, but then it's not, like I said, that the world thinks, you know, faith is just imagination. Imagining things to be as they are not. Faith is not as many people who are not Christians think, you know, us being unrealistic and replacing reality with imagination. No, it's, it's not imagination. But it is a different interpretation of reality. Okay, And we're going to see that in a moment. It is a different interpretation of reality. Because God's truth supersedes the facts that we have to face about ourselves and about our situation. Um, and then he says, he, he said, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And he's very specific in what he asks. Now, obviously, faith does not try and determine the outcome. Faith does not try and control the outcome because part of faith is believing that Jesus controls the outcome and that Jesus, if he does not give me what I ask, what I ask for, he's going to give me something better than what I asked for. He will either give me what I ask for in prayer or what I would have asked for if I knew what he knew. And in Jairus' case, Jesus actually doesn't give what he asks for. He gives him something better. Right? But he asked Jesus, Lord, deal with the cause and the effect. <laughs> Don't just make her alive, but heal the sickness that is putting you in danger of death so that she might, might live. And, and so likewise, we should press through the crowds and humbly, earnestly, and clearly make our request known to Jesus in faith. That's what faith does. Faith asks. It asks in a humble, earnest, clear, but trusting way. Okay? But let's look now further at the challenge to faith, because there are two challenges that, that Jairus faces. The first I just want to refer to, I'm not going to say much about it, but it's the fact that Jesus is touched by this woman you know, she touches his clothing, she's healed, he feels power, you know, leaving him, and, 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 and then he stops. And he, and, he, and he asks, like, who touched me? And you have this whole interaction, and, and, and no one comes forward. Eventually, you know, Jesus, it, it, it says in the text, he keeps looking around. And then he has this interaction with this woman. And Jairus must be thinking, for crying out loud, this woman has had a, a condition for 12 years, a couple of hours is not going to kill her. But my daughter, a couple of hours will kill her. So, so you, you see, firstly, one of the challenges of faith is that our timing is not Jesus' timing. He seems to be taking his time here. And there are reasons for that that I don't want to get into right now. But that's when you have faith, expect your faith to be challenged. Expect it, first and foremost, to be challenged by Jesus. Hello, you didn't expect that. Why will Jesus challenge your faith? Because your faith is more precious than gold, and he wants to refine it. Your faith is more precious than anything else you have, 
And Jesus wants to refine it. He wants to challenge it so it will go through the fire and become stronger. So we'll actually trust him more. When Jesus and the world challenges your faith and you exercise faith, your faith actually becomes stronger. You grow in your faith and you have more faith, more trust in him. But that only works if you have faith in him. Jesus will always force you to give more than you intended to give. But he will always give you more than you thought you'd receive. When you come to Jesus by faith, you'll always give more than you bargained for, but you'll always receive more than you bargained for. We see that with the woman of the flow of blood. She just wanted a hit and run healing. She just wanted to touch and go, you know. <laughs> Be out of there, no public attention, nothing. Jesus stops the whole show and he wants her to come forward. And instead of just receiving a healing, she receives restoration from the shame and the rejection and the public ostracizing and <laughs> She receives Jesus. She becomes a disciple of Jesus. She receives not only physical healing, but spiritual healing. Same with Jairus. He just wanted his daughter to be healed. In the end, Jesus required more faith of him, but Jesus also gave more to him. Jesus gave him a resurrection. So, the, these guys come from Jairus' house. They say, you know, why trouble the teacher? Your daughter's already dead. And, and can you see the assumption underlying that statement? The assumption is, we've heard about Jesus. He heals the sick. He lays hands on people and they recover. You know, he drives out demons, does all kinds of weird and wonderful things. You know, and, and, and that's why you went to him to ask him to come and pray for your daughter and heal her. We've heard about Jesus. He heals the sick. Now the situation is well beyond sickness. Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? In other words, the assumption is Jesus can deal with disease, but death is another matter. And clearly they don't know Jesus yet. Clearly they don't know who he really is yet. Because Jesus doesn't only deal with disease. He has overcome death itself. He has authority over death itself. So, it says Jesus, over, overhearing, let's see if I can find that, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, only believe, just believe. And, that you, if you read different translations, you'll see it translates, that word overhearing differently. Some will say overhearing what they said. Others will say ignoring what they said. And actually the, the Greek word um, parakousas, uh, it, 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 has all th it has three meanings. It can mean overhearing something that was not intended for you to hear. It can mean ignoring something that was said and just going on. And it, it can mean dismissing what has been said and overriding it. And actually in context, in, in some sense, all three of those words fit. Because Jesus firstly overheard what they were saying as, as they were speaking to, to Jairus, these, these servants, as they were speaking to Jairus. Then he basically ignores what they're saying because he doesn't address them. He speaks to Jairus and he says, 
Don't be afraid. Only believe. Fear not. Only believe. And, and, and he, in a sense, with those words, he dismisses what they're saying. He says, I'm here. I am coming with you, am I not? <laughs> Don't be afraid. Only believe. And here Jesus presents fear and faith as opposites, as polar opposites. The more faith we have, the less fear we'll have. And the more fear we have, the less faith we have. In fact, fear is a form of faith, isn't it? Fear is believing that the wrong thing will happen. Fear is believing, is, is, is the dread that what we don't want to happen or what is truly bad for us will actually happen. That is fear. It's a kind of negative faith. And Jesus says, fear not, only believe. So, Jesus comes to the house, and uh, he hears this commotion, people wailing and crying loudly. And in those days, they had professional mourners, uh, and even poor Jews were supposed to rent mourners, you know, because, you know, a Jew's death should be mourned. And, and, and they, 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 uh, there's one Jewish writer, I can't remember who it was, says, you know, even poor Jews should have at least um, rent one flute player and one, I can't remember what the second one was, and one woman to wail their death, you know, the death of a loved one, okay? So, so th this is what you had. You have this commotion of these professional mourners at the house, beating their breast and wailing and playing the, f the dirge on the flute or what have you. And Jesus comes in and says, you know, what are you wailing about? What are you crying about? What's all this commotion about? She's not dead. She's just sleeping. And immediately they start laughing at him. And ridiculing him. And that shows, firstly, that their mourning wasn't real and authentic. Because, you know, in a second, going from mourning and wailing to laughing and ridiculing, you know, clearly not very sincere. And, and, and Jesus puts them all out and just says, sorry, you dismissed. You know, be off. And he takes only the family and his closest disciples with him uh, into the house. But what we see there, just two things I want you to see. On the one hand, Jesus will challenge your faith. In order to strengthen it. But the world will also question and ridicule your faith. But even that God can use to strengthen your faith. Expect that if you have faith that there will be resistance. Expect that if you have faith it will be questioned. Why trouble the master anymore? Expect that it will be ridiculed and laughed at. Expect it. But that's not a problem because Jesus will even use that to strengthen your faith and cause your faith to grow in him. Faith will always be accused of asking for too much and being unrealistic. And here we see, you know, faith is not imagination, but faith is interpretation. Because Jesus says, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. Now, these are professional mourners. They are like, dude, we've been at a thousand funerals. <laughs> Every second day of the week, we do this. This is our day job. <laughs> we wail, we scream, we mourn. We know when someone's dead. Don't come and tell us nonsense about sleeping. You know, she's not in a coma. She's dead. This is our job to know this. You know, if, if they're not dead, we don't get paid. Okay, so <laughs> we know when someone's dead, you know, we know how to feel for a pulse. Thank you very much. 
And even some commentators have tried to say, no, she was just in a coma, she was actually just asleep and so on. But if you read Luke's gospel in, in Luke 8 verse 55, when Jesus actually um, takes her hand and speaks to her, it says her spirit returned to her. She was dead. She was dead as a doornail. So why was Jesus saying she's not dead, she's just asleep? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus was reinterpreting the facts that Jairus had to face in light of his power and his truth. You see, to Jesus, raising the dead is no more difficult than waking someone from an afternoon nap. To him, death is just sleep. That is how great you are. I mean, we were singing about it. Great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. That is how great he is. He's so great that to him, death is just rest, sleep. So, here's the thing Jesus goes into the room with the family and with his closest disciples. And it's so beautiful to me what he does. How tenderly he works with this little girl. She's lying there dead, completely dead. He takes her hand. And, I mean, all of us were children at some stage, and some of us might still remember, you know, when, when you're a child, there's a lot of scary things in the world. Some of us are too busy to notice it. Okay, so you run through life. You never notice the, the scary stuff. But some of you, when you were a child, you did. But when your dad was holding your hand or your mom was holding your hand, you felt like everything was okay. Like everything was going to be okay, right? Okay. You were often wrong, but, but at least you fell that way. <laughs> because often everything was not all right, even though your parent was holding your hand. But here's the thing. Jesus is the ultimate parent. When he's holding your hand, everything really is going to be okay. Even if you die, everything will be okay if Jesus is holding your hand. So he holds this little girl's hand. And then he says to her, Talita kum, which is Aramaic for little girl, arise. And, you know, when, when, when Mark, I mean, his, his original readers were not Jews, so they wouldn't have understood the Aramaic. So he translates it for them into Greek. And when he translates it into Greek, he uses a word, korazion, uh, which, which is a diminutive, verklein word, for those in Afrikaans who don't know what diminutive means. <laughs> a diminutive of korai, which means girl. So uh, instead of saying dochter in Afrikaans, he would have said dochterki. So it's, it's a term of endearment. You know, when, when you, when, when, when you want to use a term of endearment, you, 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 you use a diminutive. So it's like he was saying something like honey or little darling or it can also mean little lamb or something like that. Okay, So it's a term of endearment. He's speaking to her very tenderly. And he's saying to her, first the tender address, little lamb, little daughter, honey. And then he gives the stern command, arise, arise up. 
And it says immediately she stood up and started walking around. Immediately. And Jesus says, and everyone's like, immediately, <laughs> they also <laughs> completely astonished. And he says to her, don't tell anyone, just give us some bread. And, and Jesus clearly has no you know, separation between the supernatural and the natural. It's not like, oh, you know, Jesus can do the supernatural, so the natural is not important. No. He says, I've just done a supernatural resurrection. Now, in the natural, give her food because she's hungry. <laughs> okay? Sometimes, you know, we, we're tempted, you know, because God can do the supernatural to become super spiritual and think that the natural is bad and only the supernatural is good. No, not with Jesus. He created both the natural and the supernatural. Thank you very much. But here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. Imagine how this little girl felt. Imagine it from her perspective. She's died. She's passed through the veil of death into the abode of the dead. And when it says, <laughs> you know, when in Matthew 16, Peter, uh, Jesus says, uh, on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What he was referring to is the gates of hell is the, the gates through which you enter into Hades, which is the abode of the dead. It's a one-way gate. There are many ways into hell. There's only one way out. And this little girl, or the, the Hades is the boat of the dead. You know, it's not like hell, Agena. But this girl, she was in the boat of the dead. And she experienced the one way out. She experienced, I, I, can, I can just imagine her, even on that side of death, sensing something holding her, someone holding her hand. And then hearing the voice that spoke the worlds into being say to her, little girl, arise. And pulling her through the veil of death all the way back into her body and into life. Like only Jesus can do. See, Jesus doesn't only have authority over disasters and demons and disease. He has authority over death itself. And he can just speak the word and say, Talita. Little girl, arise. It's the same thing Lazarus heard. Lazarus, come forth. <laughs> and those words plucked him all the way out of death into life again. Jesus can do that. And it's not only in the time when Jesus walked the earth that this happened. I mean, throughout church history, God has been raising people from the dead. I remember hearing this slightly funny story about Smith Wigglesworth, who was a plumber, an uneducated plumber from, from Bradford in England. And uh, he couldn't read and write, but somehow God, I think his, his wife taught him to read the Bible. And in, in, in his whole life, he only read the Bible. One guy tells a story of coming to visit him with a newspaper under his arm. And, and, he, and, and Smith says to the guy, you can come in. That stays outside, <laughs> pointing to the newspaper. Because he only, and he said, my room, only the Bible gets, in my house, only the Bible gets read. But <clears throat> He raised a couple of people from the dead. In fact, it said he raised his wife from the dead more than once. And the last time, when she came back, he put her up against the wall and he, said, and, and he, and he commanded her to live. And she came back and she said, Smith, I don't want to come back. Leave me. <laughs> and she died and he left her. <laughs> Stop resurrecting me. <laughs> 
Leave me alone. <laughs> I want to go to Jesus, which is much better. But just in closing, three things I want us, that I think the Lord wants us to see from this. Where Jesus raises her from the dead, little girl, arise. And that word arise is the same word, egera, um, is the same word that is used for God the Father raising Jesus from the dead, resurrecting Jesus from the dead, arise, causing Jesus to arise from the dead. First thing that God wants us to see is that Jesus raises the dead physically now he can do it he has done it he can do it again jesus raises the dead the physically dead he raises okay second thing that it it shows us is that jesus also raises the spiritually dead in ephesians 5 verse 14 there's a a port which most scholars believe to be a portion from a hymn or a song that was sung while people were being baptized symbolizing that they go under the water dying and being buried with Jesus, and then they come up out of the water, being resurrected with Jesus. And they would sing this, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He doesn't only raise the physically dead, he raises the spiritually dead. Something which this little girl would have had to experience. Now remember at that stage during the Gospels, Jesus had not yet given the Holy Spirit in the new covenant sense of the word. That only came after the cross. In other you could only be born of the Spirit, be spiritually raised from the dead after the cross. The cross was necessary for, for, to be born again. Um, so she would have had to experience that as well. So, so she would have the amazing privilege of being, you, you've probably heard the saying, um, how's it go? Die, die once. Uh, how's the saying go? Die once. Anyway, now I can't remember. It slipped my mind. But she will have the privilege of being raised by Jesus, not once, not twice, but actually three times. Okay? So she got physically raised by Jesus from the dead. She would, I hope, if, she, you know, if she's heard Jesus' voice, you know, calling her back and physically resurrecting her, that she would also thereafter, you know, when it was available, be spiritually raised from the dead. But thirdly, it says in... In Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. The same metaphor is used. She's not dead, she's just sleeping. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ. But if, uh, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, if, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. Raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. So you can see, it became part of Christian culture to talk about death as falling asleep. For as by one, as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. So, all of us will experience Jesus raising us from the dead like one being awakened from sleep. Because that's the point. To Jesus, death is just a form of sleep from which he can awaken you. Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That is the Jesus that we serve. It is the Jesus who has authority over physical death, spiritual death, any death. He can just say, Talita, kum. 
Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.